Welcome back to Hair of the Werewolf, a weekly super... I gotta start again. I hear a <laughs> pop in my voice. It's like... Ah! Welcome back to Hair of the Werewolf, a weekly supernatural and horror-themed podcast. I'm Chase, and I'm here with Lily. Hey, guys. Each episode, we attempt to scare each other with research stories from around the world, and admittedly, a few that are out of this world. So take a seat, grab a drink, and join us. So what are you drinking today? Um, I'm actually having an amber ale from, what is it again? That's Bell's. Oh, Bell's. That's right. <laughs> Yeah, you uh, you rarely drink beer while we play. You drink beer plenty in life. I just mean yeah. while while we <laughs> while we record the podcast. You drink all the time, but except for yeah, right but, now. But usually, like when we're at when we're doing the podcast, you've got like a cocktail or some wine. Yeah, yeah, but today yeah. You're actually drinking beer, and that's actually because we have a lot more beer in our fridge than normal. I know we're not getting through it. Not saying that we have to get through it. This isn't a chore, but I'm like, yeah, I should probably have a beer. Well, yeah, I don't since you know I don't drink much these days, and uh, we got a bunch of amber beer last friday because lacumbre started canning it and that got me really excited <laughs> so i bought more than i should have and it might be well before we get through it. but that's okay lily's yeah. helping me out i'm helping i'm, I'm on good old-fashioned agua i got a bit of bit too many things to do today but i know for a fact that i have a huge big story that i'm pretty excited about and we can't get to mine until we get through yours so i think you <laughs> should get going <laughs> i just let's get it out of the way i guess Okay, so the story that I have today is actually themed by one of my page-a-day stories that I had. Oh, yeah. And it covers the mysterious emails of Jack Froze. Jack lived in Dunmore, Pennsylvania when he died unexpectedly of a heart arrhythmia on June 10th, 2011. He was 32 years old. The family was grieving and obviously, you know, through the motions and everything, a loved once a loved one dies, they have to go through. Yeah, yeah, you have to take care of all their stuff. Yeah, you know, all that jazz. Five months later, um, after his death, his friend Tim Hart recalled the night that changed everything. He said, quote, one night in November, I was sitting on my couch going through my emails on my phone, and it popped up. Sender, Jack Froze. I turned ghost white when I read it. This is an interview on BBC. He said, quote, it was very quick and short, but to the point that only Jack and I could relate on, end quote. The subject read, I'm watching. What the <laughs> so fuck? I know. would be like, oh, hell no. And the rest of the message read, did you hear me? I'm at your house. Clean your fucking attic, end quote. <laughs> what the hell? Um, the second to last time Jack visited Hart before he died, they both went into his attic and talked about what to do with the space. At one point in the conversation, Jack was making jokes and made the sarcastic comment, better clean this attic before I get up here. The two had been friends for 17 years, so the tone of the email wasn't threatening to him. In fact, it was just very much something Jack would have said in person. Kind of person. the way when friends can be pretty crass with each oh, other right. and it just works. Yeah, exactly. I mean, heck, you and me can be really crass with each other. <laughs> yeah. Intentionally funny. Intentionally, yeah. So what made the email even more astonishing was that no one else was with them. And it was a very specific moment that the two of them shared not long before Jack died. Jack said he did reply to the email, but he never received a response. So the story doesn't end there because another message was sent by Jack on November 21st, 2011. So this was a couple of months later. But this time it was to his cousin, Jimmy McGraw. The subject read, hey, Jim. And the message read, how you doing? 
I knew you were going to break your ankle. Try to warn you. Got to be careful. Tell Rock for me. Great song, huh? You're welcome. Couldn't get through on him. His email didn't work. End quote. Jimmy had broken his ankle the week before he received this email. McGraw commented, mm. I'd like to say Jack sent it just because I look at it as he's gone, but he's still trying to connect with me, trying to tell me to move along to feel better. End quote. To this day, the source of the email is still a mystery. Friends and family members have stated that they don't have Jack's email account information. At first, Hart had a suspicion that Jack's mother was sending the emails. Mm -hmm. But when he asked her about it, she responded, quote, think what you want about it or accept the gift, end quote. Now, there are three possible scenarios. Um, Well, if there's three that I came up with, there's, there's probably more. Okay. But the first is obviously that the email was hacked. By either a friend or a family member. Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, it seems like an obvious It's one. a very obvious. But there is some slightly personal information there that makes it exactly. interesting. It's so specific, um, especially with Hart's situation, that only the two guys were in the attic mm-hmm. and had some sort of inside joke at that point. Sure. Uh, this would have been the perfect reference that Jack would have had to let his friend know that it was him. Yeah, yeah. So if it was supposed to be very intentional, this is something that I would have done too. They're like, only you and I know. Yeah, so it seems more legit. Right. Uh, The second scenario is that Jack had used a website or an app that specifically saves emails and sends them to their loved ones once they're dead. I would believe it if that person consistently updates their emails or like what they're going to send out. Oh, yeah. To remain relevant. Yeah. But it doesn't explain the email to his cousin that broke his ankle which would have been like way after he died. Way after he died, and it was only one week after he broke his ankle. Once again, once again, suggesting the someone else alive is sending these emails. Very like very possible. And then the third option is that these emails are really from Jack. You know the paranormal side. Mm-hmm. Somehow his it's spirit so found that, a way yeah, to send like, emails. I'm so happy that ghosts are so good with technology. <laughs> When even the living is still having issues. Yeah, I have trouble typing sometimes where I'm like, <laughs> my brain thinks faster than my fingers and I struggle with it. I was like, I can just imagine if I can't even touch a keyboard, how much harder that would actually be. Yeah, I, I don't know how I feel about that because I never send emails. And so the fact that I would suddenly start doing that. And, and for some reason, my brain is being dragged towards all those ghost shows that we watch, the hunting shows. Mm. And they always do that darn flashlight thing. Where they like oh, unscrew yes. the flashlight until it's like barely touching, and then they say turn on and off the flashlight. Which compared to sending an email <laughs> seems like baby talk, it's and so that's little. still su- such a struggle for it to correspond correctly with the questions people are asking. You're like, I just think this is chance, which definitely comes with the other questions. Like, what would have prompted something for Hart to want, or not Hart, um, Jack? to want to send these emails to Hart or to his cousin. Because, like, I don't know. A lot of things went through my mind. Why emails? Why do these people? And why these specific references to, I don't want to say meaningless, but very random points of life. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? It's not like, hey, I found out the secret of life. Y'all want to know? I'll send an email. No, there's nothing like that. It's just, (laughs) it's like, clean your damn attic. (laughs) Clean this, man. Yeah. But I guess you never have to have a reason. I'm... I'm guessing more or less that if you die, you're kind of the same person. So I actually imagine if I died and I had to send an email, it'd be like pretty spooky. <laughs> I probably would try to make a joke too. So I don't blame this scenario if it was really paranormal. But at the same time, I was like, well, I don't know. I guess it depends on who you are, what kind of email you'd send from the great beyond. 
But yeah. I just imagine if a ghost is trying to do it because it'd be so much struggle, it probably wouldn't even be English. It would just be like random characters or look like corrupted <laughs> data. And it's just you trying to say hi, but you're like, you're like, damn it. Remember in the movie Ghost when he's trying to teach Patrick Swayze how to kick a can? Oh, yeah. And he's like struggling hard. I think that's how the emails would come across. They'd be like, <laughs> but email. It has to, <laughs> just a lot of bouts. <laughs> right. Oh, my God. Well, this story was just weird enough to make it, I think, personally, possibly true. Like, that it was Jack Froze mm-hmm. from The Great Beyond. And the reason why is because, unfortunately, there are often another side of the coin for these types of stories. Like, for example, a side that reminds people that people suck. So, there's this case of Paula Chase. In December 2011, which would have been about five months after Jack died... And around the same time, Jack sent his first emails. Unrelated, but just so that you know. Sure. Yeah, I got time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There was another family grieving the loss of a mother. Cassie Wood from Stafford, Virginia, was out shopping with her husband when Jared, the husband, decided to check his emails. Cassie recalled the shocked look on his face when he motioned over for her to come and look at his phone. There, Cassie saw her mom's name on an email that she described having junk attached to it. Mm. Cassie's mom, Paula Chase, had passed away two years before, and so there were a lot of initial questions as to why this email even existed. Unfortunately, these questions were quickly answered when Cassie saw that the contents of the email, they were not meaningful, they were not an inside joke, it was just straight up spam. So the email was obviously hacked, and the spam messages continued to be sent to everyone in her address book, including Cassie's two sisters, Uh, Cassie said in an interview, quote, I pretty much freaked out and cried. I was kind of hysterical at the point, and then the emails arrived on my phone, and I fell onto the floor. I'm still struggling with her death, end quote. Whoever hacked into the account had changed the password and security questions, so the family no longer had access to it, which I guess they they did before, but Mm. they didn't bother to shut it down, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Um, The family contacted (laughs) Yoohoo. They contacted the beverage company. Yes, so which was really random because it has nothing to do with this. <laughs> the family contacted Yahoo and asked that the email be taken down. It took quite a few phone calls and a fax of a death certificate. The family did end up getting mm-hmm. it down. So I guess I know that this particular story is not spooky or anything else, just depressing if anything. Yeah. But I thought it was important to talk about because... In this case, it was so 100% obvious it was an imposter or like a hacked, whereas the other one, not so much. So I think if you really can see the two sides of the stories, it's almost easier to spot a false Well, yeah, but there also, you know, my notion with the first case was not that some malicious random person did it. My assumption was somebody who knew these people closely did, and they either thought it was going to be funny or maybe they thought it was a way to help people that were grieving because they thought this communication might maybe. cheer them up. People do weird things. Like, I would be very upset if someone tried to. Pissed. If someone I know who had passed away, I got an email from them and someone's like, I'm just trying to calm you down. This ain't working, dude. Yeah. This is making me more upset. Um, but maybe, you know, everyone handles weird things differently. Yeah. I don't know how I feel about it. I'd be really upset if somebody tried that. And I. And I think it would be almost obvious. I just, I feel like you would be able to tell if it was super fake or like someone trying to make you feel better. Because if it was, why would they use like a random joke that they wouldn't even know about? And in the exact kind of manner well, that they had joked before. He, he didn't die like that night. The assumption is he could have told other people. Possibly. He doesn't just have one friend. So he, in the 
way of communication mm-hmm. that perhaps um, they had known. He's like, oh, yeah, I was over at Steve's house, and his attic's really dirty. I was telling him he's got to clean that crap. And they're like, oh, ha, 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 let's go play Halo. And then the guy decides <laughs> to send that email later, and then months and months later when the person's foot gets hurt, he's like, I'm going to send an email about that too. Like, that's the way I see it. It still screams someone they know has the email. I don't know. Maybe. I, I can totally see it happening, but it just seems a little too convenient in a lot of ways. Like, this person is obviously just really good mm-hmm. at doing this, and I I don't know. I have a hard time sometimes. Well, I think that maybe 2011, I mean, that's still a little late for emails to be the dominant form of communication, but there's this part of me that would just assume if this story had happened in 2021 instead of 2011, it would have been like a ghost sending a Snapchat <laughs> or a TikTok or even just a text. Because a text is a lot harder to get away with, I think. Because well, yeah, you're, not you're not just it's not just access to an account. You're spoofing a network. Yeah. And that's a that's a much more complicated thing. I'd be much more spooked if a cell phone you were getting a text from a cell phone because that number will usually have just been put out into the ether and some random person will get it. Yeah. So I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. No, I, I get it. I totally understand the skepticism. This was not this isn't like something that a lot of people witnessed or anything like mm-hmm. that. It's very it's personal. Isolated, it's yeah. a very personal story. Which brings me to my next stories, because I thought it was important to maybe talk about other stories that have supernatural tendencies of communication via modern technology. Okay. So here's the first story. It's titled, An Answering Machine Message. I had a message left on a 1990s, 1990s-ish. <laughs> he's so 90s-ish. <laughs> he's so 90s If it's not from the 90s, he's like, go away. I swear I can't talk. I just had like two sips of beer and I'm already like out of control. Okay. It's anyway. a little uncomfortable with caller ID because that was late 90s. That was late 90s. Yeah, this is early. And so it's an answering machine that I very strongly suspect was left by my deceased father. In 2005, my 79-year-old dad was diagnosed with a terminal illness. He lived in the town I grew up in, about 140 miles from where I live now, but not in the house I grew up in. My mom died in 99, and he remarried and moved into his new wife's house. As they get towards the end of life, they were really helpless. My stepmother, being three years older than my dad, absolutely could not care for him when he got to this stage. We knew that was coming, so I arranged to take a leave of absence in the fall of 2006 when he started having difficulty caring for himself. I moved back into the old house I grew up in, and I moved my dad in to care for him until he died in around the end of the year. Gathering myself together mentally and physically, I returned back to the office following the New Year's holiday. In February of that year, two months after he passed on, I finally made partner with a law firm after being there close to a decade. I know my dad would have been very proud, and I expressed to my friends, family, and folk at the office several times that I wish he'd been alive to see this. Having inherited the old home and the land that accompanied it, I ended up going there every two weeks during the summer to cut the grass. Many months went by, perhaps a year, and nothing at all happened in the house. I came in one Friday night, and it was not uncommon, there were messages on an old answering machine. Usually they were robocalls from a politician or recorder uh, marketing pitches. Mm. I went through them, erasing them as I went until I got to a very peculiar one. It was a very garbled sounding. You could tell it was a man's voice, but it sounded like the voice itself was static. Trying to spell it out phonetically, the voice was saying, Wahoo Urayula Lay, you are Mehi. Okay, this is how it's set. This is like how he wrote it. Okay, I'm trying my hardest. There is another voice in the background saying two words, 
yeah, yeah. Yes, it sounded like one of those EVP recordings. It was a spirit voice. My super intelligent wife and I believe it was saying, want to congratulate you on making partner. So now if you look at it phonetically I and you start putting them together, I can kind of see where they were going Do with it. Do it again. Give me the Okay. Again. So keep in mind it's supposed to say, want to congratulate you on making partner. And then he said phonetically it was, wahu urayule you amahipa'a. Mm-hmm. Kind of. But that's how he wrote the phonetic version. And so. what was the person in the background going, yeah, yeah, saying? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I wasn't <laughs> I sure know. if that was phonetic. No, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, who knows? Yeah, God forbid it was a butt dial in a pocket, and that was the music <laughs> on the car in the background, because that's where my money's that's at. That's like, yeah, possibly, possibly. Um, I, I think, I mean... I like the idea of her being congratulated. Don't get me wrong. I'm. I think that's a really sweet thing, and I hope that that's what's happening. Mm-hmm. But I think that's a bit of you heard some gibberish, and because this is what's big on your brain, you're associating. You're maybe. imbuing that meaning that may or may not have actually been there. But anyway, okay, keep Very going. Very possible. Yeah. So they go on to say, uh, we are convinced it's what the voice is trying to say. If it wasn't a spirit voice, it was a horrible, horrible connection. It really didn't sound like what I associated with a bad connection in that the message wasn't broken up mm. as if the call was dropping out. So yep. there pocket is a distinction. Yeah, possibly. <laughs> yeah, because it's like it's not breaking up. It's just in a pocket. But yeah. you never know. I got a butt dial, man, uh, like a month ago or a little bit longer from one of our friends. And she was in a car with another one of her friends and they were trying to decide where they were going to go eat. Who was this? Uh, it was Lisa and Sarah in the car. <laughs> and this butt dial was like three minutes. And so I just sat there and was listening to it. And most of the time, all I was hearing was, you know, they were congratulating me on becoming partner. And, of course, of course. <laughs> you know, One. But there was there was a lot of uh, uh, in unintelligible stuff that was a lot of weird sounds like that. But then every now and then I could actually get some clear things where I could actually hear them say something about food and whatnot, and then kind of fade out. But it wasn't a bad connection because they weren't cutting out. It just had to do with, it's kind of like uncovering a pillow over a phone and not, it was like that, like Mm. the noise never stopped. Well, it's shuffling through like fabric, so it makes sense. Exactly. Okay, quick question. So did you answer the phone and they weren't uh, like aware that you were there or was this a message left? Oh, no, this was a message. Yeah, oh, I, didn't, okay. I, I listened to it. I didn't pick it up or anything. And then just... <laughs> yeah, I showed it to them. I, I, I made them both listen to it, um, and they were laughing a lot. Oh, my God. Yeah, I, I didn't know that, but that's funny. How does that happen? I still, like, I'm really confused. I have accidentally dialed someone, but I had the phone in my hand because I meant to text or mm-hmm, something, and then mm-hmm. I immediately shut it down. But I don't think I've accidentally butt-dialed anyone. I have at least once. I think it has to do with how thin fabric is so that those electrical mm. signals can actually jump across, bridge across the barrier and actually make a touch yeah. on the screen, the capacitance sensor on the screen. I guess for me to butt dial, I have to know where my phone is all the time, mm-hmm. which I don't. So. Well, I yeah, my my phone's now usually in my front pocket. Mm. Oh, and, that makes sense. Uh, when <laughs> it's, it's probably in, a good thing. Yeah, and my front pockets have really thick material on the inside. Yeah. But... A lot of people, particularly girls, they it's very common for them to store it in their back pocket. And the back pocket material tends to be pretty thin. Mm. And so I think that could be an issue. I guess so. Yeah. I didn't really think about it, but that makes more sense. Yeah. So this could have been possibly a butt dial. So another story is mom stayed around for a bit after death. My mom passed away on Tuesday. On Wednesday, I was home alone when the phone rang. When I picked up the phone, I distinctly heard my mom's 
voice saying, low, low. I said, mom. Then they disconnected. Low is a nickname my mom used for me. She was the only person who called me that, and it was very definitely her New York accent, her mm. timber, her voice. There were other phenomena in the, in the following two weeks. Items related to my mom flew across the room twice. One of those, mm. a bracelet, happened in front of two other people. So that's kind of cool because it's like there's it a was, lot going on. There's there a that lot more. Makes it a lot more interesting. Like the fact that it was the New York accent, things moving across the room, all the that nickname. stuff. Yeah, the, the nickname I'm not gonna really take to credit because "low" sounds really close to someone being cut off saying "hello, hello, hello." Oh. So I'm gonna ignore that part. The other stuff, though, I think sounds really interesting and compelling. I didn't even think of that. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Mr. Skeptic over here. I don't know what it is today. Today I'm just like I'm just like I'm gonna shut everything down. I know. You're just on a no no path. Ghost ain't getting me today. Not today, man. Not today. So uh, this is another one. It says same message in two different dreams. When my grandfather passed away, my mother and I just moved into our new home. Within a week of his passing, I had a dream that the phone rings and it's him on the other line. Sure. He says, Hey Heather. Do you know who this is? I didn't know what to say because it sounded like him, but I knew in my dreams that he had passed away. He just laughs and says, I don't have much time. Can I speak to your mother? And I say, of course, and run into the next room to give my mom the phone, but I dropped it and it got disconnected. Mm -hmm. The next day, I tell my mom about it and she gets a serious look and tells me that he called her in her dream and said, I don't have much time. I need you to turn off Heather's heater. She wakes up, goes into my room, and the heater is shooting flames out of it. Whoa. The heater was an old plug-in one that was his, and I use it every night when I went to sleep. So she always used it, blah, blah, blah. Not sure if there's even glitch-worthy, but it's a scary story from my family, and it gives me the chills the few times I tell people. So, but wait, was the heater in her room? So it was in her room. So she, it, the way she worded it, I, I kind of, it sounded weird to me, but basically what she says is that she uses it every night and she points it towards her bed. Now, did she clarify that she's ever seen it shoot flames before? I doubt it because I don't think she would use it otherwise. I don't know, some people. No, <laughs> Some people like to live a little risky. No, I mean, I mean, yeah, sometimes someone does dangerous. Like, I, I'm just trying to establish if there was enough information she had in her mind. Because sometimes when we're tired, but there's something that we're worried about, it will manifest in our dreams. I think that's well, a I common think a thing. lot of people, especially, I don't know, for me as well, like, when I would go to Mexico in the winter or whatever, there wasn't any, like, central heating or anything. And sometimes in some of the people's houses or mm -hmm. rooms that I was staying. Mm -hmm. And you would have to use, like, these floor heaters. Or not floor heaters. Like, the plug-ins. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I always looked at it and be like, this looks like a fire hazard. I yeah. don't know who invented these, but they look like they're going to burst well, into flames. they fire hazards. No, they are. And I found that out when I was older. But it was something that even me as a younger kid was, like, a little afraid of it. Because when you get that close, you're yep. like, damn, this is, like, a fire. Absolutely. The way it's coming out of here. And so maybe that's something that was in their heads and it was just coincidentally that they were both thinking about it. Maybe she was hearing some weird noises. Ooh, maybe. But at the same but time, the mom was the she, one who heard it. if she had never heard fire before. Wait, wait. So wait, this is what I needed to clarify. The person okay. having the dream was the heater in their room. So, okay. So I guess I should backtrack because what she said is that she had the first dream. Her grandfather said, hey, I need to talk to your mom. Can you go get her? In her dream, she was going to hand the phone over, but it got disconnected. And then the daughter was like, I was telling my mom about it. And my mom was like, what? Your grandpa called me too and said, you got to go into Heather's room because the heater 
This is all still dream. This is, but they're having it in the same night, but separately, obviously. So they're having the same dream. Kind of, yes. Two different people. Yes. Okay. So there. So this is why I'm getting confused because I thought it was someone having the dream twice, uh, and they were told go. And I wasn't sure was it the fi- the heater in their own room or someone else's room. I'm very confused by this whole. Story. I don't know. I when I read it, it made sense to me because she says that her mom was like that same night. I had a dream about your grandfather telling me to go into your room and turn off the heater. And when she went in there, it was like spewing. It was sparking. And shooting out like whatever. Wait, so now I'm even more confused. You're <laughs> oh telling me, God. you're telling me that the reason, that, like the way in which she told her daughter about the fire coming out was like, oh, that's so weird. You had a dream because I had a dream when I went there and saved your life. It, it the story didn't start. I just had to run in and turn off your burning heater. They're like, I guess no, I I'm after t- the fact. <laughs> Come on, I am not buying the way this story is being oh told. Oh my god, you're just so ridiculous. Okay, here's the thing: you're more <laughs> willing to believe that someone is is wanting to sleep with the heater that they know sparks flames. Yes. Then someone wouldn't tell them that it was sparking flames afterwards. Yes. Oh my god. <laughs> You have a very dark view on humanity right now. I know now. we all do it. Now, you and me would never stoop to sleeping with a heater that shoots out sparks because we wouldn't. But I'm pretty sure lots of people would. And that isn't to I say... I don't think so. That I isn't to say that there aren't a lot of dangerous things that you and me know are dangerous I, whoever that Whoever are my friends who are listening to it, like who know me, get ready. I'm going to be asking you this question I'm going to be asking all my friends this question for the following couple of months and just to get a poll. And if yeah, I get if idea. I get one person, I'll be like, okay, maybe. But okay. I just don't think so. I think the best way I can think about this is, and I know this for a fact because I've known a million people who use power tools, the number of people I know who I will see use power tools without safety glasses is alarming. In fact, I would go to the point and say more people don't wear safety glasses than do that I've seen doing like, home stuff, drilling, uh, using a jigsaw and everything, and those are known to be shooting <laughs> high-velocity wooden spiky splinters everywhere, yeah. and you still see people do it. Does that mean they think they're going to go blind? They're like, no, as long as I keep my head away or squint or whatnot, they don't wear safety glasses. I think that's about the same so as I think a heater that might occasionally shoot out a spark. I still think that might be a little different just because the tool isn't the malfunctioning, so they're not seeing it malfunction. They don't see the danger, but they're like what's malfunctioning is a human. So they're like not protecting themselves with a, with the heater. If you actually see, you're like, Oh, okay. I think it's broken. Just like somebody wouldn't use a power tool. That is obviously the, the stupid, I don't know the terms of tools, but something would fall off and hurt you. Like you can see it wiggling around sure, or something. Sure. Yeah. Well, I was thinking sometimes people with these, the heater and they hear spark like, Oh, I bet just like a fly got close to it. It's okay. Yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, I, that's not what just was happening. Thoughts. I don't think so. Okay, so but so let's just let's get rid of those other ridiculous things to say it appears as though these two girls had pretty much very similar interconnected dreams in one night. That is very compelling to me. That's cool, yeah. That's something I find very, very, very interesting. If someone says, like, grandpa talked to me last night, and then the mom's like, Yeah, your your grandpa, my dad talked to me last night too, and it was like the same stuff that does that's very compelling to me yeah well get ready of how well she decided to tell her daughter that she saved her life (laughs) yeah despite her being like it's fine i'm just gonna have cereal now sure sure. we'll get ready then i can't wait for you to shut this one down (laughs) i'm ready this one's a personal story (laughs) many years ago yeah just kidding kidding. (laughs) that's it the show's over goodbye (laughs) 
Okay, so many years ago when my grandfather died on my mom's side, Mm -hmm. I had a dream about him that was incredibly vivid. I do have a lot of vivid dreams all the time, but they tend to be pretty wild and nightmarish. So this one was a nice surprise. (laughs) Wasn't a nightmare. It was not a nightmare. I remember being in my room. This is when I still lived with my parents, and I see my closet door open and out pops out my grandpa. A little creepy. Okay, yes. But in my dream, I was not scared. In fact, Wait, I was, was... this in the bedroom that at your parents' house? In my parents' house, yeah. Yeah, that's one tiny closet to be in. <laughs> yeah. It's a very tiny closet, like, guys. Where did he come from? And it's not just tiny. Uh, your family's really good at packing closets to the brim. Well, that kind of happened after I left. So, oh, okay. yeah, yeah. So, anyway, I was totally fine with it. I welcomed it. He came in and he said what he always said when he saw me when I would go to Mexico... Um, and he would just repeat my min name in a funny way. It was just kind of like mm-hmm. grandpa. I don't know. He'll be like, Lily, 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 whatever, which is the way he said, hi. Well, he did this and he was walking into my room and I was just like, oh, hi, grandpa. But then he kind of like turned around and left. Like he left my room. I remember being really sad that he was gone, but super happy that I got to see him again. So in my dream, I was also aware he had passed away. Now, I didn't give much meaning to the dream, at least not until I told my mom the story. As I was sharing my story with her, she got emotional, which I was like, totally makes sense. Yeah. But then she did something that I didn't expect. She was like, I had a very similar dream on the same day, except, of course, it was personalized to the way she communicated with her dad. So he said things to her that were like, yeah, for her. And I was like, okay, a little weird, but still, but still not crazy. No. <laughs> I don't think like if gets, you said she if she said oh, no. in a closet too, I'd have been like, um, now I'm weirded out. No, I think it was just some like yeah, moment or whatever. Absolutely. And my mom doesn't actually. The funny thing is, my mom doesn't dream a lot. She tells me this all the time because I always ask her because like when I was a little kid, like I said, I always have nightmares and vivid dreams and just wild mm-hmm, mm-hmm, fucking mm-hmm. shit. And my mom's like, "That's weird. I never dream." And I'm like, "What? That's so unfair." But anyway, she doesn't dream. So this is kind of a weird a scenario moment. for her as well. How long after um, your grandfather had passed was this? Maybe like, a, well, this would have been after she got back from Mexico. Um, maybe a couple weeks. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Very, very recently. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. It would have been like that same month. So not long after talking to my mom about it and us sharing kind of like that moment. I don't know. My sister is the one who actually brought it up. And she shares with us that she had a dream about my grandfather. Literally the same time. And the dream is, again, very similar. And, you know, they have their own moment and how they communicated. So it was just, like, really weird for it to happen that way. Honestly, I can't remember if it was the exact same day, but I do remember it was, like, within two, maybe three, maybe three days at most. But anyway, I thought it would share this kind of stories because they're so personal and in their own right in my opinion, incredible because I often cover like really popular stories. Like they're really grand and a lot of people have investigated and maybe that gives it more credit. Mm -hmm. But sometimes I like to take a little pit stop and share stories that don't get a lot of attention, but in my opinion are equally important. So those are my stories for today. Well, there's nothing to shut down in the final one, mostly because (laughs) the experience, no, but the experience there is one where you literally just had three people have a very similar experience at night. I mean, I know all of you. I know you all wouldn't lie about that. Like, you wouldn't lie to each other about all that. Like, I know you guys absolutely had that experience. 
it's up to you guys to interpret what that means. Yeah. But uh, there's nothing to shut down there because it's not like your grandfather came in and said, you got to keep Vivi from buying the blue truck on Monday. Yeah. And then you went there and <laughs> like, don't buy a blue truck. Like, then I'm starting to get all confused about it. But feeling like you got visited from a recently departed person, that's a really heavy thing. And that's actually super, super well documented as something that people go through. Well, Whatever that means is yeah. not for me to determine right now. But that's something that's it's absolutely huge especially something that i'm not i i don't know i guess maybe people have caught on but at this point i'm not someone who really shares their emotions or feelings often Mm -hmm. but in this particular time it felt so powerful Mm -hmm. like that dream it was so weird because i remember being like it really felt like he was there that i had to tell my mom so at least maybe she has like i don't know i don't even know why i told her to be honest this is something i probably would have just kept with myself forever but when i told my mom she told me and I was like, wow, that sounds very similar. The emotions, like the the way the communication occurred, it was very much the same vibe or feeling the way he, when he visited my dream. Yeah. And then the same with Vivi. Although Vivi is more willing to share things and she would just talk about everything. But sure. um, the way she talked about it did sound different even for her. So I don't know. I find that to be very compelling for me just because I don't get a lot of stuff like that. And no, absolutely. Yeah, I don't know. I welcomed it. Oh, yeah. No, no. That's, <laughs> that's heavy stuff. Yeah. And like I said, in the previous story, the idea of the mom and the daughter having that same communication, I, I found that very compelling. I was just fighting over the whole fire thing. That's okay, the weird so part. It wasn't until you mentioned, like, if I walked into my daughter's room and there was, like, fire coming out of something... I probably would have woken her up Absolutely. in the commotion, this and she would have known. Yeah. <laughs> okay, I will give you that. I'm one. saying that it was. It wasn't that I was compelled and intrigued by them both having communicated night. That part I'm all about. Yeah. It was the other stuff where I was like, I bet she probably just told the story poorly, or she had told it so many times that it had lost its. Uh, it had lost the connectivity between it, and it just kind of became. I'm going to hit you with the facts that everyone reacts strongly to. So all of a sudden you're hearing the heavy stuff and not the boring details, but the details that that are required to to make it all actually a believable and compelling narrative. Very possible. Um, Yeah. The, I can see like maybe she was exaggerating on the sparking and maybe the mom saw like the heater maybe was making a weird noise. She's like, maybe I should turn it off and not wake up my daughter because it wasn't something to alarm, but it was something. And then when her mom told her, Oh, I did go into your room to do that. That's so weird. Maybe she interpreted it like, oh my God, what if it caught on fire? I have to tell people this story. Or like, you know, whatever. So I think there's definitely like interpretations of this exactly. situation. Whereas the story you just said, the amazement is actually in the subtlety of the entire experience that each of you guys had simultaneously. It's a very real and personal and emotional experience. And that makes it so much easier to understand to get your head around and believe. Yeah. Whereas the other ones, I'm like, you you might have upplayed all the stuff that people went, ooh, ah, instead of saying, well, give me the whole story. I want to know. Oh, right, all. yeah. And it's, and I like I said, we all have very different ways of dreaming. I think mm. Vivi has more nightmares as well. Um, I don't know if she has as many as I do. I'm not even sure. But yeah, this was definitely a good break of my horrible dreams that I usually have. And my mom having a dream at all was pretty significant. And then my sister being like, me too. So, you know, she she would tell us the story and then we would just believe her. But the fact that all three of us had it, too, to share with her as well it's was heavy. pretty weird. Yeah. Man, but you anyway. don't get to share too many personal stories. I don't. Podcasts, this is like, like, yeah, this is the first one. And of course, it'd have to be emotional. So I'm just waiting because I've never heard this story before. Um, I'm just waiting. One day you're going to bust out like, so the third time a ghost haunted me. I'll be like, <laughs> what the hell? 
<laughs> I named him. No. <laughs> got to keep all these secret stories. Either you either got to keep them a secret, never tell them to yeah. me. Yeah. Or you needed to have told me years ago. Right. This middle ground. So that you weird. knew not to like date me. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I, I knew it's like, um, do you think courts will recognize this if they, if I'm just like, so what is the problem with your wife? Um, she's haunted. She's haunted. She is literally a walking ghost. And she didn't magnet. tell me. She yeah. didn't tell me because she's mean. Annulment. All right. Well, those are good stories. I liked them. And I know I was being a little hardcore with it. I don't know why I'm that way today, but uh, they were good and I really enjoyed it. I don't know. No, it's fine. All right. Um, so we yeah. should take a quick break because yes. I got some stories for you and, you know, it's going to take a little while to get through them. So let's take a break. Okay, guys, we're back, and I'm finally excited for Chase to tell us a story. Well, it looks like she's already on to beer number two, because she's like, after Chase was so frustrating in the first <laughs> half, she's like, you're like prepared, you're like, I'm going to shut everything down. Yeah, I'm getting spicy over here, people. I got an IPA this time. <laughs> All right, well, before I jump into my main story, I have a creepy little news blurb to share with you guys. This came from People Magazine, of all places, a publication I don't think I have read before this day, huh. uh, but the article popped up on my newsfeed for some reason. I think it's because it's related to stuff that I normally am looking online, so... yeah. I gave it a chance. In April of last year, so that would have been 2022, Richard Mage, if I'm pronouncing his name correctly, M-A-E-D-G-E, Mage, a 53-year-old man from Troy, Illinois, went missing. On the 27th of that month, he called his wife, Jennifer, to tell her that he was heading home from work early for the day. When Jennifer returned home from work that evening herself, she found her husband's car parked outside, as you would expect, or as she would expect, Yet, he himself wasn't anywhere to be found. Not in the house, not in the yard, or anything like that. She tried to call him, and she searched high and low. Nothing. She couldn't find him. Mm -hmm. She contacted the authorities who conducted uh, their own search for Richard, including looking through the house thoroughly, which officials described as being a, quote, hoarder home, end quote. Oh. Not long after the search turned up nothing, Jennifer began to notice a bad sewer-like smell in her house. <gasps> Once again, she contacted the police, who in turn researched the home thinking you know this is mysterious we're gonna find out sure still they couldn't find anything fast forward eight months oh god to december 11th richard is still missing and what and year sorry i, I totally this is still it. 2022 so this is just okay. a few months oh, ago. so this is literally so yeah, december 11th just a few months ago Richard is still missing, and no new information has come to light. Jennifer decided it was time to start preparing for the holidays. So she went to the closed cupboard, which is located under the stairs. They had been storing their Christmas lights in a hidden closet behind the closed cupboard. When she opened it, she discovered the mummified body <gasps> of her husband. And according to the coroner report, it appears that Richard had committed suicide. Oh, shit. For any of you that have seen the movie The Orphanage, this... This is one of the main reasons I want to tell a story. This this is shockingly close mm -hmm. to the actual plot of The Orphanage. A missing person. Oh, by the way, there's going to be spoilers here. <laughs> <laughs> if you haven't seen it, go watch it. Like tonight, it's top three horror movies of all time to me. Not The Orphan, The Orphanage. It's in Spanish and it was... It's a, oh, yeah, yeah. It's a movie from Spain. That's the right one. If it's in English, you're watching the wrong movie. I have to clarify that because there's two movies with similar titles. Anyway, in that movie a woman is trying to reopen an orphanage in a very big mansion home. Mm -hmm. And her son is playing like this hide and seek game. And he found a, a hidden place, but no one knew where it was. And he goes missing one day. And then many, many, many months later, you know, after they've pretty much accepted that he's gone, she discovers a hidden closet in a closet under the stairs, just like this. 
and he was in there and he had gotten locked in there and he died in there. Wow. And so the only difference here is that in this case, Richard had committed suicide. He did this intentionally. Yeah. Yeah. And just, you know, just clarify, I am in no way putting light on that. Suicide is a horrible thing. If you or anyone you know is having these troubles, please contact help right now because, I mean, that's something to – I don't want to put any light on that. And so this is very sad that he did that. But it does make me wonder, if he committed suicide, why he would want to do it in such a hidden place. And his body had been mummified, so apparently it was in a very – Dry? Yeah, a a climate in there that was – not prone for you know mold and mm-hmm. decomposition or anything like this enough that he that it could smell but what do you think his reasoning was like i'm not saying of committing suicide because that's that's a completely heavy big issue for psychologists and doctors and everything like this that's not what i'm questioning why would he want to i think the, the, hide himself? the hard thing is is that sometimes when people you know, I've heard stories and, and whatnot, and they tend to do it in more public areas, especially uh-huh. if they're lonely because they want to be found. They don't want to uh-huh. be a nuisance, if that makes sense. They don't want to, like, be found years later or something. Yeah. But I'm like, okay, that makes sense why he would do it in his house. But then he purposely hid. So uh-huh. I don't know. And That's super weird. do you weird. think he hid because he was like, I don't want my wife to find me. But if he did it where the Christmas ornaments were. But then again, that's also assuming that if someone wanted to commit suicide that... You know, they still want to be. They're in a different state of mind at that point, and so it's it's really hard to fully do this. But I'm wondering if it also has to do with their hoarder mentality that that would influence how they would go about something like this. I don't know, but it just was a terrifying notion because it was not only like one of the scariest movies to me, but I can't think of anything scarier than just finding a dead body in your house. I mean, and nothing more depressing than it's someone you know, and they had been dead there for eight months. Yeah. Um, I mean, it reminds me of a lot of those stories from Japan where very old senior citizens will pass away and the family wants to continue to collect their government checks that they get. Oh, I heard a there. story about so that. So they yeah. will usually just close off that room, maybe even put a bookshelf in front of the door to it and pretend it doesn't exist. And once it gets investigated many years down the line, they find the mummified remains. Of, I think they're like, once you hit 110, we're going to have to just double check. Yeah, they started <laughs> They started actually sending welfare checks for people over a certain age for that reason. It would have to be, yeah. It's just a very, very scary thing. So I don't know if it's the right story for this podcast, but I thought it was a little creepy. And since it was like the horror movie, I was just going to share it. But Wow, that that's a very different story. I'm not going to lie. This is so true crimey of you. <laughs> well, yeah, I'm, I'm, I guess I'm trying to relate. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. All right. So now it's time for my main story. So my story today was inspired completely from stories posted to Reddit about two weeks ago. Oh, no, it wasn't two weeks ago. It was longer than that now. When I started writing this, it was two weeks ago. <laughs> but I changed things. So one of my favorite things to do is read other people's accounts of the paranormal. Without the fear of judgment, sometimes people's stories don't hold back on the crazy or outlandish details. Sure, that means it's harder to establish what stories are credible, but in situations where the story might be true, it does offer us a less catered view of events. Mm. I just feel when someone is just saying something online and they have the blanket of anonymity behind them. Sure. They could just be completely lying, but if they're telling the truth, they're no longer self-censoring because they're worried people are going to think they're crazy. Like they don't know who I am. I can just tell them the story, the raw version of the story. It also means they're like, they won't know I'm lying. So it, it just means if it's true, usually you can get a better version. Now, Lily does sort of know what I'm going to be covering this week because I told her my story was inspired by Reddit and she immediately guessed what it was because she had just read it I on saw Reddit. that post too. But beyond a few little bits of info, because you didn't deep dive into it, you're still mostly in the dark. You know a little bit, but... Only what the post said, really. I, I, Yeah, I didn't read the article. You know me. 
Yeah. So I was originally going to do this story last episode, but I was compelled to do the balloon UFO one. That's why this one got pushed to this this week because I was like, this one isn't super time relevant. So right. but now we can get into it. I'm really excited about it. So I'm going to talk about a variety of unexplained phenomena that some consider paranormal, some consider religious, some consider strictly mm. psychological, and others some mixture of the above options. And I think that might be why this concept's so intriguing to me. People who are skeptical or flat out don't believe in the paranormal are less likely to embellish their story or uh, revel in the interest that it garners. So these people barely believe this stuff. And so when it happens to themselves, they, they're kind of... You can tell they're kind of shocked. They're thrown out, yeah. Yeah, and they're so like, when they tell the story, you can tell they're they're they don't want to embellish it because they are themselves like I don't want them to think I'm a crazy person, anything like that. Well, so, of course. On February 10th of this year, a post was made on the Today I Learned or TIL for short subreddit. The thread was called "Today I Learned About Third Man Syndrome." The title of the post continued to briefly describe what it was, but after looking into it, I figured it'd be better for us to discuss it in far better detail here. Shout out to Wikipedia for being an ever-important source for information on this concept. Despite the post calling it third man syndrome, it is more commonly referred to as the third man factor, which I also prefer because it removes any predisposed assumption that it is strictly a psychological phenomenon and reflects that its cause is not known yet. The coining of the term the third man factor is said to have originated from a T.S. Eliot poem called The Wasteland, which referred to an incorporeal presence as the third. The third man factor is one of the many occurrences collectively referred to as an anomalous experience. As defined by Wikipedia, anomalous experiences are, quote, benign hallucinations which may occur in a person in a state of good mental and physical health, even in the apparent absence of a transient trigger factor such as fatigue, intoxication, or sensory deprivation, end quote. The Society for... Psychical Research is an organization based in the UK that researches psychic and paranormal events. They claim that at least 10% of the population has experienced an anomalous experience. Examples of anomalous experiences include out-of-body experiences, Mm. lucid dreams, auditory hallucinations, which happens to me way more than I'd like to admit. I have a lot of lucid dreams. A lot. Yeah, you definitely have a lot of lucid dreams. I don't, but I often will hear things that don't, that... there's nothing to hear. I'll be like, what was that? And you're like, there was nothing. I would also argue, though, that you have an insanely good hearing. So there's a chance that there is. And me being practically deaf, I'd be like, you're crazy. But there really was something. And I just didn't hear it. There's it, also a chance. It's possible. It might also be other things in my system. And I'll leave it at that. <laughs> I mean, when that happens, <laughs> absolutely. So psychologist William James described the way people experience this phenomenon thusly. Quote, From the way in which this experience is spoken of by those who have had it, it would appear to be an extremely definite and positive state of mind, coupled with a belief that the reality of its object quite as strong as any direct sensation ever gives. And yet no sensation seems to be connected with it at all. The phenomenon would seem to be due to a pure conception becoming saturated with a sort of stinging urgency, which ordinarily only sensations bring, end quote. It should be noted that the third man factor primarily references unseen presences that seem to be a positive experience. Their presence is often seen as a means of support or help during a troubling, dangerous, or traumatic experience. Mm-hmm. So now, now that I've like given you all the boring definitions, let's actually give it to the story so you can kind of get a feeling for what it is. Yeah, because there's like you had so many possibilities and like 
theories already put out there without a point of reference. So yeah, I'm Absolutely. excited for, I need the stories. So one of the most well-known examples was detailed by Sir Ernest Shackleton, an explorer who attempted to cross the Antarctic continent in the early 20th century. His book, South, released in 1919, detailed the doomed expedition. The entire ordeal lasted roughly three years. <gasps> not only did they not succeed in crossing the continent, their ship sank, causing them to come on the ice for quite some time while they attempted to recover their lifeboats. When weather permitted, they eventually took the boats and made it to a nearby island where they were once again stuck for a long time. So they fashioned one of those lifeboats. They augmented it to make it a little bit bigger mm. in an attempt to make it to the island of South Georgia that they knew had whaling stations on it. Okay. Because, you know, once again, this is the early 20th century, no cell phones, nothing like this. So they needed to get in contact with people. So they decided, you know, we're going to send a couple people, you know, the whole expedition was trapped and they said, we're just going to send a couple people on this little lifeboat to this island to, to see help. if we can contact the whaling station. The boat trip to this island was 14 days on the water in a tiny little Damn. boat. And during it, they endured hurricane force winds, unreal waves, everything trying to sink them. They did not sink. They barely made it to the island. And when they did, the upsetting thing is they landed on the wrong side oh, of the island. Oh, no. Oh, my God. How big was this island? Do you, I mean, big I'm assuming. Big enough. Okay. <laughs> when they landed, they're like, should we take the boat? Because they had to get to the other side. And kind of go around? Yeah, I'm trying to say. I, I did not write down how big the island is. It's not that big, but it's big enough when it's frozen and you need to get somewhere and you've been suffering for a long time. you're exhausted. Yeah. Yeah. So they couldn't take the boat around the island because the boat was in such bad condition. So they're like, we have to hike over this island. And the island is covered in mountains. Oh, good. So they have to traverse mountains to get there. So their journey that they had to take across this inhospitable mountainous island, which is 800 miles from Antarctica, was going to be about 26 miles on foot. And mm. that took them the better part of a day and a half to traverse. Damn. It was during this journey that Shackleton experienced something he felt was religious in origin. Quote, I have no doubt that Providence guided us. I know that during the long and racking march of 36 hours over the unnamed mountains and glaciers, it seemed to me that there were four, not three, end quote. And before you dismiss this as one man's psychosis, take note that the other two men with him, Worsley and Crean, also claimed to have felt the presence of a fourth person during Ooh. the journey. They made it to the whaling station, organized a rescue to save the remaining stranded sailors. This journey had historic significance and not just within the realm of exploration. His accounts of a mysterious presence struck a chord with people. Soon after, many people came forward to describe similar experiences where they felt there was another presence with them during trying times. Joe Simpson, a mountain climber, discussed a traumatic experience that almost took his life in his 1988 book, Touching the Void. While descending after a successful ascent in the Peruvian Andes, tragedy struck and he fell off a cliff face, breaking one of his legs. Due to weather conditions, his partner was unable to save him and had to abandon him. Simpson then forced himself to crawl back to base camp, and during the arduous journey, he claims to have heard a voice guiding him back. In 1997... So, so wait, so his friend just left him there? Well, yeah, so his friend... Uh, I, I didn't want to make the story too terribly long, but his friend was trying to lift him out of the, the cliff face because he fell down like this like cavernous cliff face. Oh. And he just couldn't do it. And he was getting worn out, and it was a big issue. And I think there was oxygen tanks involved. He's running out of oxygen. He's like, we're either oh, both going to die or I need to leave. There was nothing said about animosity or anger towards his partner. It seemed like... 
he was like, yeah, I'm probably going to die. This is the nature of our activity. Like, you know, if you don't save yourself, then you're just dead. But he survived and he wrote the story about it and he has Uh, felt a voice guiding him back. Wowza. In 1997, this name is going to be so hard to say for me. Ikechukwu Azuonye. Wow, that's a hard one. Yeah, that sounded hard. A consulting psychiatrist published a paper in the British Medical Journal. It detailed an odd case about an adult woman who had no history of mental issues whatsoever hearing voices. She was apparently home alone reading when a voice told her that a friend wanted to help her and that she should not be scared. As any intelligent person would do, the woman sought medical help out of fear that she had started to lose her mind. That's exactly what I would do. She's like, no, no. This is insanity. It's like, voice tells me in my head not to be scared. I'm scared. Yeah. After some consultations and tests, she was given an unspecified medication and received therapy. All seemed well for a while, but eventually the voice returned, only this time with the friend. She was on vacation at the time, and the voices told her she needed to return home because something was majorly wrong. The voices also conveniently gave her the address to the imaging department at a London hospital. She went what? there. Yeah, she went there and had a scan of her brain done, and that's when they discovered that she had a notable brain tumor. She underwent surgery to remove the tumor, which was successful, and she emerged from the anesthesia. She heard the voices one last time, and they said, "We are pleased to have helped you. Goodbye." Oh my god, that is so fucking weird. And with that, she made a full recovery and never heard the voices again. See, I would have been like, oh, okay, so it was a tumor. Maybe she knew something was wrong and her brain was like, let's get this fixed. Mm -hmm. But then like that she heard it after the tumor was removed, a little weird. A little weird. Yeah. So I got that story from the Irish Times, by the way, and that was published, I think, in like 1997 or 1998. Okay. Kind of like what you just said. The story is interesting because since there was an actual physical abnormality in her brain, it would be impossible to deduce exactly why she heard those voices. Mm Were they the result of her brain reacting to the tumor, causing her to either consciously or subconsciously seek help? Were the voices crude interpretation of an ailing brain? Or was she actually being spoken to either by spirits or ghosts? Now, I know this stuff sounds like something you would see on the Touched by an Angel episode. (laughs) Especially because of its wholesome ending. It really is. But I still find the concept of it to be incredibly terrifying. As we mentioned last episode in the Smile discussion, losing one's mind is a terrifying prospect. We still know so little about the complex mechanisms of the mind that hearing voices is still something shrouded in a level of mystery. So in my opinion, I think this is one of those stories that depending on who is hearing it will explain it from either a purely medical scientific point of view or from a religious or even from a paranormal. I mean, I can totally hear a doctor saying the brain is complex. This is a reaction of the brain telling you to fix something. Just because you you didn't know doesn't mean that the brain doesn't know. I mean, the the funny thing is, is that we talk about this so much is how much the brain is holding uh-huh. information that we can't always access. And then sometimes, yeah. exactly. And we're like, well, that was random. Why did I know this? Or why mm-hmm. did this come into my brain? And yeah, I mean, not to bring SVU again, <laughs> but <laughs> there, was an, SVU. there was an episode where this woman had a brain tumor and it basically changed her entire personality mm-hmm. and it accessed certain like maybe traumas that she wouldn't have otherwise been so susceptible about. And she did like horrible things or whatever. And then when she got the tumor removed, she not only had no idea why she did those things, but she was like not that person anymore. And and at first it was like SVU and I'm like, oh, what a ridiculous story. Anyway, it turned out to be like a true story and I read about it. And yeah, the details are different, but you know, it still sticks that she was complete. Even her, the way she wrote was different. Mm-hmm. The way she talked, her speech, like she was like a different person. Yeah. So anyway, I totally believe this is a medical 
issue more than supernatural, which is weird because that's not usually where I go. Well, but with the supernatural, the thing is, you know, someone could easily, if they took the religious point of view, they could say that there was maybe a guardian angel or an angel looking that's out for true, them. That's also true, yeah. And with the paranormal, it could literally have been a, you know, we were talking in your stories about how loved ones may try to communicate to help people. The idea that the grandfather was trying to say, hey, the my crappy old heater is trying to kill, kill our <laughs> kill my granddaughter. <laughs> right. This kind of can go in that line with it, that it could have been like a friend that's watching over it. And instead of sending an email, just popped up in the brain and said, yeah, yo, what's up? The, the part that I found particularly compelling is she got the address this is in the 90s. So this is like before we could just look everything up on our phones or online or anything. According to the story, assuming nothing was changed, the voices in her head gave her the address to the imaging department at a London hospital to get her brain done. Okay. And that's not something I would anticipate for her to have in her head unless she had a previous experience. I with have that. a counter and let me just explain because right. you actually said because of the nineties and I'm arguing it because of the nineties. Okay. She's more likely to remember it because she doesn't have to just look it up. So she might have been looking through the books and being like, where would I need to go? Maybe this was a, a referral that she That's forgot fair. about. And you're more likely to remember something, especially in the nineties where you couldn't look it up because you had to remember everyone's phone number. Cause you had no idea how else to remember. So I don't think addresses are excluded in that scenario. There's some truth to that, but you know, <laughs> back in the nineties, I was still relatively young. I don't know if I would know addresses very well. I, I remembered how to get places, but I won't be able to tell you if that was like 1213 Armand Street or but something. Also, I wouldn't know. again, a kid, you weren't driving all it's the true. time. That's so true. That's true. That's fair different. to say. That's fair to yeah. say. I still struggle with my my parents always knew which side of the road was going to be the even and odd. And mm -hmm. I never do. I just have to always look and be like, okay, left side is even today. I still do that. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. So you could absolutely be right. I just thought that was a particularly interesting story. And that one was someone, someone mentioned that in the subreddit, like as a reply said, didn't this happen to someone in the nineties? And then I found the link to it <laughs> and the Reddit post itself was full of people detailing their own or people they knew's experiences with the third man. A lot of them are great, but this one in particular, I think really captures the concept. Well, user rocket KT 69, <laughs> great name wrote quote, I was in a really terrible car accident a few years ago, and I was stuck in the car. They had to cut me out. During it, I came to, and there was a woman who had climbed into the rear seat behind me and was holding my shoulders, telling me I was going to be okay and that help was coming. I thought she stayed with me until I blacked out and woke up to a fireman cutting the door off and pulling me out. The fireman, paramedics, and my mother, who had gotten there quickly, all said that there was no woman at all, that traffic had gone around, and no one had stopped because the fire department was only a few blocks down the road. Mm. I can still hear her voice, and I know she was touching me, but no one saw her. <laughs> Freaks me out still, end quote. Ooh, that's creepy. I really liked that one. But, you know, it does sound like a story, like, it sounds like the kinds of stories we've heard, someone's told us a story like this yeah. before, meaning... It's one of those things that this is a common thing. Like, still, how you want to explain it, that's up to individuals. But this is not an uncommon weird thing. People yeah. are like, yeah, there was someone there. And, and people are like, there was nobody there. Now, I have had stories in the past where I covered something like that. Although, I think the last one I did, um, it was like the lady in black or whatever, that she, like, came to the aid of someone. Oh, yeah. And yeah, everybody exactly. saw her. But, yeah, Which yes. makes it even cooler. Yeah. <laughs> Everyone's like, I guess she'll help this Victorian woman. Um, yeah, so anyway, th that's pretty interesting. The fact that no one saw her is always a little scarier, though. Always. Yeah. Julian Jaynes, a psychology researcher, suggested that these third-man experiences might be the result of a mental condition known as bicameral mentality. 
This is an extremely complicated concept that he used a whole book to describe, but in layman's terms, or at least how I interpreted it, and I'm trying to make it in layman's terms, the human brain experienced a massive shift in how it functions, bringing forth our sense of consciousness. Our brains used to have two functions, one that talks and one that listens, but now it functions in a singular way and that we are self-aware of both sides of the brain. With this line of thought, you know, this is this is psychologist that we're not saying this is fact. This was just a, a theory that he proposed. Sure. Or maybe it's a guy or a girl. I don't know. It's Julian. That could go either way. Mm-hmm. Uh, with this line of thought, the third man might be a remnant of how our brains used to function and come out during especially traumatic moments. And I think that's kind of fascinating because sometimes we see when we're particularly scared, we kind of get reduced to more primitive or basic reactions or anything. And so I guess the suggestion there is that this might be an artifact of just how our brains have changed over the the millennia and that this could be, it could have been just kind of how our brains functioned long, long ago. And it just pops up there kind of like Mm -hmm. a, you have like Like a a, safety net, like, or just something that we can fall back on. So we don't scare ourselves straight or maybe like, so we can survive. It's like a, it's a survival mechanism. Exactly. But what if it isn't a mental coping mechanism? What if these moments are people experiencing other entities? Many people often describe these experiences as having profound or deeply emotional resonance. One could argue that the trying mental condition opens us up to other sensory experiences, ones that aren't necessarily mental coping mechanisms. We have talked regularly on the show about how people who suffer from possessions are often in a mentally fragile state when it happens. Mm. And it should also be mentioned that due to the nature of this show, usually when we talk about other spirits and entities, there is a tendency for them to be malicious, evil, or at the very least, annoying. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It is reasonable to assume that some of these experiences should be positive in the great realm of experiencing other entities. They can't all be evil. Like, yeah, there has to be some good. And that doesn't make them any less spooky. Right. But I do believe that when a paranormal experience happens that is positive or beneficial, we tend to refer to it as things like a guardian angel or someone watching over us. And we, for some reason, categorize it differently in our brains. But if we're talking about experiencing another entity when you're under a mentally trying time, we shouldn't necessarily assume just because it's a malicious entity or a positive entity that they're completely different experiences. Right. I see like what you're the, saying. the yeah. reason it's happening to you. Yeah. Um, I mean, these guys were out in the middle of nowhere in Antarctica where people, you know, they were on an island that was mostly uninhabited. What if there just weren't any evil spirits in the area? Yeah. <laughs> there was like that one guy who's like, what are they doing here? I got to help them out. Yeah, no, exactly. So, I mean, it could have been, I, I know that's a really dumb way to look at it, but I'm just saying like, are we just assuming that entities can be everywhere at once? Because we always talk about how there are haunted locations, haunted places and things like portals and areas and everything like this so i think it would be safe to assume that there are areas where there aren't spirits because either people just don't live there or there haven't been there but there could be like a portal maybe or Or something if you do have a friendly spirit some uh, a friend who's dead and looking after you they would follow you even to these weird places and then all of a sudden when you're in a mentally deficient state you can all of a sudden hear them when they're communicating with you when you wouldn't normally this is just an idea that if it's not a mental coping mechanism and you're experiencing things, why would it be happening then? Yeah. And why might they be positive? I guess I it would make more sense that someone would help you in these situations that no one else is around, and a demon hasn't had a chance to inhabit this island, that it would absolutely be a friend. Absolutely. Or someone who, or at the very least, may not know you, but is not a dick. So, yeah. <laughs> but is not a dick. Exactly. Yeah. 
Author John Geiger, or could be Geiger, collected numerous accounts of this phenomenon in his book conveniently titled The Third Man Factor. It includes stories such as Ron DeFrancesco, DeFrancesco, the last man who left the South Trade Tower before it collapsed. DeFrancesco claims to have felt something grab his hand and lead him out of the tower right before it collapsed. Mm. And then there's the story told by Frank Smith, maybe Smythe, a mountaineer who attempted to be the first to summit Everest, so this was quite a while ago, during his ascent, he stopped to eat some food he had in his pocket. After retrieving the food, he offered it to the person next to him. Only there wasn't anyone next to him. <laughs> there never was anyone next to him. It's not like that person had disappeared. Like, oh, there never right. was. And he later said, quote, all the time that I was climbing alone, I had this strong feeling that I was accompanied by a second person. The feeling was so strong that it completely eliminated all loneliness I might have otherwise felt, end quote. Well, that's kind of nice. And so he was doing something crazy. And I wouldn't say traumatic, taxing, but not traumatic because he didn't get hurt. He wasn't going to die. He He's was just physically trying to climb prepared. A this is something that you expect yeah. if you're going to do Mount Everest. It was just out in the middle of nowhere, right? Yeah. Maybe it has something to do with being in such remote, lonely areas. Our brains create this as a coping mechanism. I have no idea. Who knows? I mean, we all talk to each other or sell ourselves all the time, just being alone in a room and you're not doing anything exciting. You're just in your computer and you're like, anyway, I'm just, you know, sometimes you talk to yourself. I don't know. I know people exactly. do this. You're looking at me like I'm crazy. I don't think you're crazy. <laughs> okay. I'm like, right? Cricket, cricket. Now, I find our recording room that we do this podcast in is incredibly silent. We put up soundproofing stuff, and I actually get uncomfortable in here if we're not doing the recording and making noise because it's super quiet. And I wonder if I stayed in here long enough if all of a sudden my brain's just going to be like, all right, you're going to start hearing some voices, man, because it's too quiet in here. I love it. I love how silent it is in here. Yeah. Yeah. I can't do it. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, so I don't know if I've ever had any of these experiences myself actually seeing a third man factor, but I can say I've heard other people talking about these experiences just enough, you know, a guardian angel or heard someone talk the story that you mentioned earlier that it doesn't give me pause when people mention, mm -hmm. I just, we kind of accept it. And the closest scenario I have to me experiencing something, I didn't actually experience anything, but I was in a scenario similar to the ones that people experience things was when I was a kid and I was on a ski trip in Angel Fire, I used to go skiing with my friend Aaron and his family every winter. And during one of our ski days, for some reason, Aaron and I decided we didn't feel like skiing anymore. We wanted to go home <laughs> and watch TV at the cabin or play with toys or whatever kids want to do. I don't remember. At that age, and I'm going to say we were like nine or so years old, we hadn't developed a strong sense of distance or direction yet. Worse still, we didn't know our perception was bad either. So we thought everything was closer than it was, and we were too young to realize how stupid our notions were. Right, yeah. So we decided we were just going to walk home from the ski resort all the way to the cabin. Now, we figured it would take us like 30 minutes or so, despite us having ski boots and our skis with us. We probably left the resort by like lunchtime, maybe even a little bit before lunch. And as the sun began to set when we were wandering through the winding forest roads of Angel Fire, fear began to set in. We were crying, we were lost, and we were tired. <laughs> oh my God. So we, we kind of knew the direction. We thought we did. Aaron knew it better than me. It's like, was it right here and then left here and then right on this road and then left? It was. Well, after a long time, you start having doubts, especially uh -huh. since you seem to think it was only going to take 30 minutes. It's understandable that you're like, yeah, we're going to die. Well, at one point while we were walking home, we even separated ourselves because we disagreed on which path to take. Aaron wanted to take <laughs> a shortcut through the woods because uh -huh. he said the road winds back around and I didn't believe him. So I said, I'm going to stay on the road. And he took the shortcut. 
And maybe about 15 minutes later, we, I, I was coming around the bend and I saw him there and I was like, wait, cause we were like fucking terrified cause we were now by ourselves. Sure. And we got back together and everything. We were. So what, what did you end up doing? Did you go through the woods or stay on the road? I stayed on the road. He went through the woods, but then we met up cause oh. the road did wind around. He was right. But you guys met at the same time. So it didn't even No, matter. I saw him at a distance and I like screamed out like to wait. I see. You know, as kids are. I do remember very clearly thinking that we were scared we were going to die out there because the sun had completely set. It was nighttime, and we were still out. Oh, no. And thankfully, right as it had really hit uh, nighttime, and we had talked about the idea of we could see some other cabins in the distance. You know, we could always go break, well, or break a window and get in if we have to. Anything. Okay, a little traumatic. But we finally reached the top of the road where the cabin was, and we're like, we can make it. We're going to get down there. Mm-hmm. And we found the cabin, and Aaron's incredibly and justifiably pissed off mom. Yes, of course. And I can't even imagine what her brain was going through. She's yeah. like, these kids are so dumb. Yeah, we got in <laughs> a lot of trouble, and I learned a lot of life, life lessons that day. I'm assuming Aaron did as well. And it was, it, I can't even believe we did it. We were young. We were stupid. Nine was, years old. Oh, awful. my God. And, yeah, we easily could have died. But we it was a traumatic, scary experience. And it, it could just be different timing or we were too young or brains just worked differently. But we I never had the experience that someone else was with me. I never felt a guiding light. Yeah. I felt very much when we were together that we were alone. And when the for the short period of time that I wasn't near him that I was incredibly alone. Yeah. And that was very scary. So I wonder, like, yeah, what what would warrant a situation that you would start hearing the voices if uh-huh. at all does everyone experience this this is a very specific personality is it, yeah, is it dependent on the brain is it dependent on the person yeah. do i just not have anyone looking out after <laughs> me and i don't have a guardian angel and i was like yeah let him die yeah uh, or maybe it's there and some people hear a voice and mine if, if it was happening to me it, it's just you know you are too scared to listen or or, it, or or it doesn't come as a voice it's just kind of like motivation to keep going Mm -hmm. is all it needs anything like that yeah that's true so although i know that most of the stories i presented tonight aren't terrifying in a traditional horror sense i do find them scary to a certain degree because whether or not it's your brain doing weird unexplainable brain things or if it's uh incorporeal entity contacting (laughs) you or maybe it is a religious experience and for people who consider themselves non-religious having a religious experience might actually be a terrifying thing because then you start to question that as well and be like, it has to be my brain or maybe or anything like that. So I found all these stories terrifying in a different way. It's very different. Yeah. Yeah. And it also proves that sometimes we do talk about the possibility of other entities that aren't necessarily trying to kill you, possess you or do evil things. In this case, the entity is something that is welcomed and the thing that you're scared of is your situation. Like you're like, I'm in a mountain by myself. Like, that's scary enough. So the nice is thing is enough. that it was not a demon who was following you. It was some cool person who wanted to help you. And so. didn't want to eat your food on the side of Everest. Exactly. So have you ever had an experience where you thought there was another person, be it a group or by yourself, that there was someone else with you? Um, No. Yeah, I figured that's the kind of story you would have told me. No, definitely not. Um, I have been in situations where I turn around and someone was there and I didn't know the whole time. Like, you know, if I'm... uh. That does sound like you, though, because <laughs> you are an incredibly smart person, but sometimes you can be a little bit unaware of I, your environment and surroundings. I'm very, I have accepted that I have no, my spatial awareness is awful, so I'm always lost. And sometimes when I'm in a room and I think I'm alone, I'll look in a corner and someone's been sitting there for two hours right. with me or something. Like if I'm in the library and I saw something, I'm like, oh, fuck, how long have you been there? 
Yeah, so I, I yeah. am I am a I am an overweight man who does not wear what ninjas wear. So. I wear I wear <laughs> more loose fitting clothing. So there is nothing, and I'm also usually barefoot. And there is nothing about me and the way I move that could be described as silent or cunning. The number of times I've snuck up on you unintentionally i'm just like walking out to get some water and you're just like oh my god you're here yeah and you've um, been there like snacking the whole time i don't know why yeah I just, I would, i'm terrible at it and i would say you also are a very loud mover through the house like yeah you know we both kind of drag our feet a little bit we mm-hmm. make a lot of noises particularly when you wear slippers well when i'm wearing my slippers obviously yeah, yeah. So it doesn't happen often, but there are a few times where you just perfectly get past my hearing. And like you said earlier, I do think I have pretty good hearing. When you do shock me, I almost like have a heart attack because <laughs> I'm like, I'm so confident in my surroundings because I'm so good at it. If you ever sneak up on me, it just. I guess will- it's true. It would be more scary for you. Whereas no. I'm more like, oh, didn't know you were there. But like, I'm not shocked because this happens to be all the time. Yeah. So, yeah. So that's my story or my group of stories, the third <laughs> yeah. man factor. So, so anyway, I also I just want to say out there, if any of you guys have ever had an experience, a positive one where you might have felt that there was someone else there that you can't really explain. You guys should write us in and tell us about it because we could talk about it in a in a new episode. And also, if you do have one of these experiences, you should also include how you've decided to interpret it in the future. If you think it's a mental coping mechanism or if you thought it was a guardian angel or if you thought it was another entity. By all means, please let us know. Yeah, I totally agree. And also to add to it, please communicate and email us if you guys are willing to have a sparking heater in your room. Oh, yeah. If you have a heater that you know might be dangerous and you've decided to use it anyway. I totally would. Please write me because I need to know why. Yeah, she wants to prove to me that no one would do it so that I sound sound like I was being too harsh. Then I'll know the truth. Just kidding. Oh, All right. So, yeah, that's, uh, so I guess that's everything we got for today, right? Yes. And yeah, so we're done. And I hope you guys enjoyed the episode. If this is your first episode, welcome. And I hope to see you next time. If this isn't your first episode, we love you. <laughs> Remember, uh, you can always email us at hotwpodcast at gmail.com with story suggestions or your own spooky experience or some of the things that we asked you to email about for Tell t- us about your from today. Years. Yes. Uh, so we can also put those in the listener episodes if you desire. As we always say, if you find yourself having a work week hangover or a IPA slash amber ale kind of hangover, well, don't worry because the best cure for a hangover is fear. Bye. <laughs>